Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Miriam Henry, who's a third-year resident at the University of Kentucky. Miriam is originally from Monroe, Louisiana. She completed college at Mississippi College and medical school at LSU Shreveport. Her academic interests include hand surgery and general plastic surgery. Miriam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. So I'd love to get started by hearing kind of big picture overview about your program. So we're a six-year fully integrated residency. We don't have any uh, general surgery kind of transfers in for their last three years or anything. We do kind of the same general outlook as most places have, three years of general surgery and then three years of plastic surgery. The first three years, it's kind of a mix of several different things, but the last three years are strictly plastic surgery. I actually have the kind of breakdown here of the way that we do our months. So our first year, you do two months of plastic surgery, and then you do a mix the other 10 months of general surgery. You do a little bit of urology, um, a couple of different other uh, off-service rotations, but just the two months of plastic surgery. We're kind of working on the schedule. We may use more months on plastic surgery for the first year. Second year, you do about six months of plastic surgery, dermatology, and anesthesia. That's kind of our breakdown half and half the second year. And that's also changing. We'll probably have more plastic surgery months, maybe even up to maybe even nine months that year. And then your third year, you do nine months of plastic surgery and you do three months of general surgery, but that's breast and vascular. And we may get rid of the vascular months. So it's starting to become more plastic surgery the first three years, but right now it's two months, six months, nine months. And then your last three years are strictly plastic surgery rotations. And what are the different places that you rotate through? So we have uh, the main hospital is UK Albert Chandler. That's kind of in central location to Lexington itself. Attached to that hospital is the Children's Hospital. It's actually one of the floors in the hospital. And it's completely the Children's Hospital, and they have a ICU there. There's a Shriners Hospital that's right across the street. It's connected by a sky bridge. We do a little bit there, not, not a ton, and that could be in flux. We may do more or less over the coming years. It just depends on how uh, much the faculty really operates there as to if we, if we do anything there. We have a VA hospital, which is also attached by kind of a, a walkway. So all of those locations are attached. You can park in one spot. You can get to all of those. We do uh, some months strictly on VA service where all you're doing is VA clinics and operating. And we do quite a, quite a good volume at the VA. We also have a, I guess you can call it kind of a community hospital, but it's still associated with UK. It's called Good Samaritan Hospital. And it's less than a mile from UK Albert Chandler Hospital. And we operate there on kind of an outpatient basis. We also do inpatient consults there, but I would say your time there is, you know, maybe half a day once a week that you'll be there. And usually at night, we actually have patients transferred from that ER just down the road to the main ER. So we can actually handle trauma there. We don't really do as much uh, as far as ER consults at Good Samaritan, but they're all less than a mile away from each other. And most residents kind of live close to those hospitals anyways. Additionally, your sixth year, you do 
this year it's one month because of coronavirus times, but it's going to be back to the usual two month where we go to Callow Aesthetics in Louisville and we work with Dr. Calabrese there. Um, that's where we get a, a really good chunk of our aesthetic training with him. And that's about an hour drive. Most people will either just kind of stay there for that month or commute because it's so, you know, they have like actual business hours. So it's not so bad commuting there in the mornings, but that's only for two months, your, your chief year. So you have those two specific dedicated months during your chief year. What other kind of cosmetic experiences do you have throughout the rest of your training? All of our attendings, maybe with the exception of one, but I honestly think all of them do cosmetics in their practice. It may not be a huge portion of it, probably less than 10% of most of their case volume is going to be cosmetics, but you get exposure throughout your training with that because we do the mentor model, which I can talk about a little bit later. We have a chief cosmetic clinic. So your chief year, six year, you have your own clinic half a day a week, and then you book cases that you do with the attending of your choice, really. That's an awesome experience. And you get to do Botox, fillers, all the all the things that you would want to get really good at if you were going to go out and do those in practice. So we get a good chunk. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say we're a super heavy cosmetics residency program, but I think it's probably 75% of our uh, graduates actually just go into cosmetics. So you can obviously do that coming out of here. Additionally, we function on a mentor model. We have about seven faculty, plus or minus, we're kind of in, in flux getting a couple And each resident is designated to one faculty member for sometimes a month stint and sometimes up to three months stint. And you go with that mentor, you do all of their cases, you do all of their clinics, you know, and really that's a good experience because you get to have that continuity of care. And I think that's really good for just patient care in general, but also aesthetics. It lets you see kind of before and after. Sometimes I think it's hard when you're uh, not doing a mentor model to have that continuity. And you mentioned there are no independent residence as a part of your program. Are there any fellows at UK? You're right. There's no independent residence. As far as fellows goes, we're having a a hand fellowship. This is actually our first year. We have one fellow and we've accepted one for the, the following year. So that's the only fellowship we have right now. And I don't expect that we'll get another fellowship anytime soon. We do a a large volume of craniofacial but I think we kind of like that reserved for the residents and, and the attendings feel that way as well. But the hand fellow will be a great addition. We have a high clinical volume of hand surgery. As a second year resident, I had already met almost all of my hand numbers to graduate. And that's a second year resident. So if you can imagine, a hand fellow will be much needed and, and nice to have as an addition. What are the research expectations like? You know, I think that there's... And a lot of programs are probably similar to this. There's some statement somewhere out there that you have to do one research project before you graduate. But kind of at UK, we are a high clinical volume facility. So we do a lot of cases. We're all about operating. There are plenty of research uh, projects available or research outlets if you want that, even, even if you want to do like cellular biology research. I mean, we have a lot available. I would say probably one or two residents out of the 12 of us have a really strong interest in research. Everyone else is very focused on clinical patient care. You're able to do it, but it's not something that anyone presses you hard to to do. I have three or four research projects going on right now, and I'm not not really one that's super interested, but they're small projects and they're very manageable. And the the attendings, they they understand uh, both your clinical expectations and your research ones, and the research is kind of falls back if you want it to. 
if you do get to the point where you're presenting your research, what kind of support is available for that? They fund our, our uh, travel to meetings. You know, now that everything's virtual, you know, it's a little bit different. They would obviously fund your registration if it was to cost you anything. But all of our faculty are very supportive. You can take days off to go to these things. No one's going to give you a hard time about it. We already kind of talked about those solely cosmetic months, but are there other opportunities for electives in the later years? We have a, actually one of our chiefs is doing a microsurgical fellowship in Canada, and he had taken a couple weeks, if not a month, to go out there and experience that. And now they pass that new addendum to the residency where you can have three months of whether you want to take it for maternity leave, paternity leave. With our kind of residency, we're allowing people to take that as elective months if they would like to. So that you have three months available to, to have as an elective if you, if you so choose. As part of that or separately, are there any opportunities for like, global experiences? Yeah, we have two attendings, Dr. Vasquez, who's primarily craniofacial, and uh, Dr. Lau, who also is primarily craniofacial. Dr. Vasquez does a trip to Ecuador every year. He usually takes either a four or five. And Dr. Lau usually takes a six year with him to Guatemala to do uh, craniofacial cases. Really, they both do any kind of plastic surgery cases in those countries that, you know, they feel comfortable doing. But I would say it's primarily craniofacial. And both of them have actually been recognized by the ACGME. So you can log those cases in your actual logs. And they don't count torture vacation weeks. So you would get those. And additionally, you could keep all your vacation weeks. So you don't have to use those. I think they're awesome. Everybody that's gone on the rotations or the trips have really had a great time, both caring for patients and just kind of getting out there and seeing different parts of the world. How long are those experiences usually? Usually about a week. I think maybe one goes a little bit beyond a week, but usually about a week. And is there any exposure to gender affirmation surgery? We had quite a kind of stronger program about a year ago. The reconstructive urologist actually left. So we're doing less phalloplasties and, and things like that. But we do a lot of top surgery here. We have a strong referral basis for that. And people generally are very, very happy with those surgeries. We feel very comfortable doing the top surgeries right now. And I think we'll continue that. As far as bottom surgeries, you know, it's something that you just really need like a, a really good team of urologists and plastic surgeons. So from a plastic surgery standpoint, we're there, we're just kind of waiting on the urology department to see if they get someone else. And I'm sure we'll start that back up um, as soon as they get that. And is moonlighting possible at any point? I think there's actually a statement that says that we can't moonlight. I've never known anyone to. You're generally busy enough. feel like you need to. I guess if you took a year off for research, which is not something we generally have someone do, but I'm sure if you did, then maybe you could moonlight during that year. But generally, um, it's not something we do here. Is there a possibility, though, if someone really wanted to take a research year, they'd be able to do so? I'm sure there would be. I don't know any resident that has here, but I'm sure that that could be something that could be worked out. I don't think there's anything necessarily restricting that. Is there one area or a few areas that you would say residents come out feeling like they've had the strongest experience in? I think overall we have a really good breadth of plastic surgery. I think everyone's pretty much comfortable doing microsurgery, doing hand surgery. Like I said earlier, the majority of our residents usually end up going into private practice and they're very happy doing that. We don't have as many people going into hand, although we do have a high hand volume. I think it's just something you do so much of. You kind of want to do something different at the end, but you are pretty much trained in every area. We do burn surgeries, but we don't do a lot of burn critical care as plastic surgeons. We don't have a burn unit here. 
honestly, I don't feel very passionate about burn critical care. So I, you know, that's one of the reasons I even picked this program. But uh, that would be the one area I would say if you're interested in, we don't really have a huge exposure to that. But everything else, I think everyone feels pretty comfortable handling. And how would you improve your program? I think that potentially in the future, we could uh, increase our complement size. I think that would help. We have a high volume, like I said, and we're getting more attending. So I think in the future, we may increase our complement size. I think another area that we could expand to would be taking on more gender affirmation surgery or burn critical care. But I think at this time, we're kind of comfortable where we are, but that would be the two improvements. And are there any particularly awesome perks? We do have a loop fund, which is really nice. Our attendings actually uh, all chip in to buy our loops every year for the oncoming residents. So that's really nice to not have to pay for that and to just, you know, it's just a financial burden sometimes to pay for your loops because they are expensive. We have uh, the Duke flap course or the Penn flap course, whichever one you choose that you can do your fourth year. They pay for that registration now. It's virtual, so it's a little bit different too, but they would pay for the trip there. The plastic surgery boot camp, which I believe is going on this weekend, they also would pay for a trip there and then uh, pay for several meetings kind of in your chief years. So there's stuff, you know, like that. And then we have a food stipend that goes into our check every month, which is nice. It, it correlates with the amount of call that you take, I believe, is how they factor that in. The food actually is pretty good at UK. I know a lot of hospitals don't have the greatest, but ours is, our cafeteria is actually run by like an independent company. So it's not, it's not terrible. We have a Starbucks and things like that. So it, it's nice. So now I'd love to hear a bit about your program leadership. So your chief and your PD. We're still a division, but we're kind of working towards becoming a department in the the future years. But our division chief is Dr. David Drake. Um, He's actually the up-and-coming CESPERS president as well. He just stepped in this year, but he's kind of been a part of our faculty for about two years now. He's done a really good job. We all really like him, and he's an excellent hand surgeon and, and has taught us a lot. So he's our chair or division chief. Dr. Drake specializes in hand surgery. About 80% of his clinical volume is hand surgery but he still does top surgeries for gender affirmation. He does some microsurgery. He does kind of a, a good breadth of plastic surgery as well. He is board certified in hand surgery, but he does a lot of plastic surgery. Then we have Dr. Leslie Wong. She is our program director, and she just stepped into that role probably about a year and a half ago. She's done a phenomenal job. She's a great resident advocate. She does everything you can imagine in plastic surgery. Before, when we did have a burn unit, she was one of the directors of the burn unit, um, along with the general surgeon, and uh, she did a really good job with that. But since we don't have that anymore, she does a really, really wide variety of plastic surgery. You name it, she does it, and she does it pretty well. We have Dr. Deborah Bourne. She's probably our newest faculty. She started about a year ago. She is primarily hand surgery. Again, probably 80% of her volume is hand surgery. 20% cosmetic or uh, reconstructive, and she is our assistant program director. Then we have Dr. James Lau. He uh, does primarily craniofacial, but also does a wide variety of reconstructive type surgeries, a lot of free flaps in conjunction with our oral surgery colleagues. He's uh, one of our younger faculty, really uh, gets out there, shows you how to code correctly and, and to kind of make the most of every operation that you do. So he's been great to work with. Dr. Henry Vasquez, his name is probably one of the more famous in plastic surgery. He has a brother as well that's a plastic surgeon. He has been with us for many years. He's a great cosmetic surgeon. He works a lot at the VA right now. 
and has just really taught everybody kind of the basics of plastic surgery and the history as well. So he's awesome to have. And then we're getting two uh, new faculty members, Amanda Silva. She's uh, at Chicago right now. She actually starts in a couple of months, two or three months. She's going to do primarily microsurgery. So she'll start here in the next few months. And then Dr. Morgan Brock, he will start, I believe, actually September. He's a hand surgeon primarily, but also does other general plastic surgery. So they will be good additions to our mentor model and obviously pick up even our heavy clinical status that we already have right now, but they're going to be great additions. So it's going to be nice to have a new microsurgeon to kind of do some of these bigger projects with and then have another hand surgeon as well. Can you tell me about a time when you or some of the other residents brought an issue up to the program leadership and how they responded? As far as a, a specific incident, I can't you know recall anything. We generally have a pretty good working relationship with our attendings. Twice a year, we have a meeting where we voice any concerns that we have, any changes in rotation schedule. I think probably that's the biggest thing that we've been working together to resolve is we do a lot of general surgery, and and that's great. We get great exposure. I feel very comfortable handling sick patients, but uh, some of us have noticed redundant rotations that we could potentially eliminate, and the faculty have been great in helping us achieve that. So I think that's a really good instance where we you know, have voiced a concern, hey, I think we're getting too much of this, and and they've responded by reducing that. I think we have a good working relationship overall, though. And now could you describe to me the camaraderie amongst the residents? As a group, we get along really well. We hang out pretty much every week. We have a general kind of resident room that we meet in every day. We work together really well. People kind of pick up for each other if needed. And then, like I said, we have the mentor model. But if a mentor splits out, we have really great camaraderie to ask someone else, hey, can you help us cover this case? And it's generally uh, not an issue. We do a lot of stuff outside of work together. There's kind of a what's becoming an annual boat trip that everyone's <laughs> kind of taking in July, usually, with even some of the other residents in psychiatry or general surgery. And that's a really fun time. We get along great. I mean, there's a good split of girls and guys in our program, so it doesn't seem like it's dominated by one or the other. And generally, everyone does a really great job. We're known to be really hardworking throughout the hospital, and so that's uh, something we're definitely looking for. Do most residents own or rent? I would say it's probably half and half as to if people rent or have a house. A lot of people will start out renting and then buy a house once they get a little settled. The housing market here is great. It's very affordable to live, whether you want to rent or buy. But the houses do fly off the market here. It's a very hot real estate market here. So as soon as a house comes up, pretty much gone. But with that said, it's affordable to buy one. So I think it's about half and half. I live literally five minutes from the door of the ER. That's a decision I made because of our call. I felt like I wanted to maximize (laughs) the amount of sleep I get. But I don't think any resident lives beyond 15 minutes uh, drive, and they own a house. So I I think that it's very affordable to live here. And are most residents more on the single side, married, have kids, etc.? Probably about half of us are single. I'm single. But some of our chiefs or people kind of in their later years generally have children. It's a good kind of mix. There are people that are engaged or have been dating people long term. Not necessarily one or the other, but I think if you came into the program and had kids, that's very doable. We have residents that have been that way. Or if you're looking to start a family while in residency, I think this is a place that that's very accommodating too. 
And is it necessary to have a car? I say yes. <laughs> you know, this town's not super compact. It is spread out enough to need a car. There's nowhere written that you have to have a car. Like I said, I could walk to work in a little less than a mile away. So I guess in theory, I don't have to have a car, but I would say, you know, most people do, and it would be much more convenient to have a car here. You already discussed, you know, the affordability of living in Lexington. What are some other things you like about living there? So I'm from Louisiana originally, and <laughs> I used to think nowhere is going to have near as good food as, as we have in Louisiana. But I will tell you that Lexington has some phenomenal restaurants. I'm definitely a foodie and I've been happy here. I eat out way too much, but <laughs> there's a, a different restaurant every night that I can go to and, and have really good food. And it's kind of in the bourbon uh, region of the world or of, this, of the country, really. And uh, you can go to a distillery within an hour if you want to go do that on the weekend. There's a lot of distillery tours or bike trails even. You can bike to one distillery to the other. <laughs> That's an awesome thing that they have here. They also have a lot of different festivals, which obviously Corona is impacted, but festivals, Keeneland, which is horse racing, the Kentucky Derby is not too far from here. It's a little expensive, but Keeneland's a much more affordable version of the Kentucky Derby, and that's twice a year here in April and in October. Usually the residents, we have a tailgate and we go out there for, and you don't even have to go in. You can just see it on a big screen out in the field. So that, that's a really fun thing to do. There's a lot of outdoor activities, probably within 30 minute drive. There's canoeing, kayaking, really great hiking. One of our residents even does rock climbing, so it's not even far for him to go do that. So there's a ton of stuff to do. I mean, I, I've been really happy. Every weekend I do something different. And there's a, a couple of different towns, probably 10 to 15 miles away, that have phenomenal restaurants as well that you can just drive out to, spend the day hiking, and then go have some really, really great food. So I've been happy with it. I, I don't think I would knock it for anything. It, it's affordable. It has great food, great nightlife. I mean, it, it's kind of got whatever whatever anyone's looking for, whether you're married, single, whether you went straight through medical school into residency, or if you took a couple of years off, there's a, a great a variety of things to do for everybody. Any final thoughts either on your program specifically or on the overall process of choosing a program? I think that the most important kind of factor in deciding on where you want to go for residency is yeah, you'll meet the residents and a lot of things will be different this year because it'll be on Zoom. You want to get a good feel as to how they react together, how, you know, their call works, things like that. That's obviously important. But think about the things that you like to do in your off time because that's going to really get you through your training is, you know, are you going to be miserable staring out a window in a cold city or do you want to go and experience different things and be in a warmer climate? It just depends on what you like. I would say Think about your interest outside of residency just as much as within residency when you're picking. And I think you'll end up in the best place possible for yourself. A lot of people forget that. They think, oh, I want to be, you know, the best at XYZ specialty in plastics. And, and I think that's great for some people. But the reality for most of us is that we're going to want to have a normal life outside. And I, I think that when you're looking for a place, there's a lot of glitz and glamour and, oh, this technology, that technology. But you want to go somewhere. You're going to get good training have good people, and enjoy your life outside. If applicants are interested, how can they find out more about your program? We have a website, just our general University of Kentucky. Usually when I'm searching for it, search under residence or residency um, in Google. It'll, it'll come up. We have a good breakdown of a rotation schedule. It goes over our faculty, 
goes over all the residents. There's little candids and stuff on that. So that's a great resource to look for. I'm sure that also talks about the application process, but that gives a good overview. And then we have an Instagram, University of Kentucky Plastics. We update it pretty regularly. You can message us on there if you have any questions about applying or or you just want to know anything about our program. We're happy to answer that. Those are both good resources to find out about our program. Well, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.